no matter how dark today was, tomorrow's better. The next moment is better. And if we can hold on to that, then happiness is possible. Joy is possible. No matter what type of fire we've gone through, no matter what type of hell we're going through, if we can have that, if we know that the next day or even the next moment can be better than this one, then that's what can get us through and get us to that point of not only service, but internal joy and happiness as well. Hello, and thank you for joining me here on Hope to Recharge podcast, the podcast that's designed to break the stigma around mental health and to create some hope and inspiration and give some practical tips to those that are struggling with mental health, whether it's from personal stories to break the stigma or some advice from professionals in the mental health community. Whether you are struggling with mental health on your own or you know a loved one that is struggling, we are here to support you and to create a community so you you know you are not alone. The road to recovery can be difficult and challenging. At Hope to Recharge, we believe that in mental health, together is always better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for joining me here today. As the saying goes, nothing will change until you do. Hi, I'm Atana Jacobs, host of Hope to Recharge podcast. We've heard from so many of our listeners and from the mental health professionals how changing your mindset is the first step in getting your mental health to a better place. We have also found that people are able to grow and heal faster and to get to a better place when they share with others that are experiencing the same struggles. To fill this need, we decided to create a small intimate group of people that will meet for a mastermind to take their wellness to a new level. We are calling it the Hope to Recharge Mastermind, Leveling Up Mental Health. This closed group will allow you to draw from the experiences of others that are in the healing path as well. We will get a little bit more raw and into the details of our journey. We will share with each other and we will set goals and exercises to grow month to month in the path of mental health. Who is this group for? This group is not for everyone. You have to be ready and committed to change, committed to doing the work, committing with your workout clothes to come to the mental health gym. Owning a better mental health state takes a lot of work and takes dedication and it takes persistence and it takes constant showing up and doing some exercise in order to move the needle. We are looking for people that are already involved in changing something in their mental health. Either they are involved already in therapy or go to a healing or they experienced therapy in the past, they joined maybe other masterminds or did something to say, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to move the needle. This mastermind is also for people that are givers because let's face it, when we share our struggles, we are giving because we are helping others to feel not alone. We are breaking the stigma and maybe from our personal sharing of what we're going through, we can actually help somebody else achieve what they're trying to do, which we already achieved before. We also are looking for people that are willing to break the stigma and are willing to be a little bit more open and remove the mask. We are looking for people that believe in positivity. They believe that things can get better, that they believe in hope, that they believe that we can try a bunch of things and fail, but we can also try and succeed. This will not be a support group to just talk about what's not working. We could talk about what's not working, but 
only if you are willing to accept ideas of how to make it work. We are looking for people that are willing to start practicing gratitude if they are not practicing already. So basically, this group is for people that believe that a mental health together is better. If you experience depression, anxiety, or any other mental health struggles, this place can be for you. If you're living with a loved one and you want to know maybe how to understand them better, or how to support them better. This can be a place for you as well. This group is not instead of therapy. This is group is not instead of healing. This group is not going to replace medication. It's an additional, it will be an additional aspect to your mental health journey to wellness. So as we said, we're going to meet once a month on a group call. Sometimes it will be a hot seat, somebody from the group that will share what they're going through. Sometimes I will share my insight and that will be the topic of the month. We are also looking to have professionals from the mental health world come and share their guidance with our closed group. So my question to you, are you ready to level up to mental health wellness? Are you ready to take your mental health to the next level, to live a better life than you are today? Are you willing to gift yourself the time once a month to show up and the rest of the month to do the exercise in order to move the needle? If you would like more information. We will have it on the link below. Thanks for taking the time and thank you for listening to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here today with Calvin Wayman. Calvin Wayman is a husband, a father. He is a brother to 43 or 44 siblings. 44. 44. Four moms. Grew up as a Mormon no longer a practicing Mormon. He is the author of Fish Out of Water, which is an entrepreneur book that we're going to speak about soon. He is a podcaster on the podcast called Curious because he's a very curious person and he loves learning about life. He loves endurances. He's starting a mastermind soon. He's a coach. He does so many different things. He has his own business for um, social media and teaching people how to get themselves out there. And he also teaches people how to be their fish out of water and how to survive the period of feeling fish out of water to being yourself. The reason why I'm having him on my show is not because I want to talk so much about it, the entrepreneur part of him, but he, he talks about mental health in his journey. And it was so heartwarming for me to see and refreshing to hear someone that really tries to be the best self as he can be in the world, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a colleague to people, as a, as a business owner, but at the same time, struggle with mental health and be very, very open about it. And it was so heartwarming to me to see that, especially in the male format as of you humans because males don't don't talk about it as much as female. And I reached out to Calvin. I saw him before in different parts in the, our journey of entrepreneurship. And I reached out to him and I said, would you be willing to join me on my show? Because I wanted to talk about specific things, not so much about your journey in entrepreneurship, but how did mental health come into your life in different aspects? A, as growing up as a Mormon, in the religious aspect? Like where does that, how does religious and mental health come together? That's something that's very interesting to me. As a father and as a husband, like did, did something change over there? Leaving your job and creating your own platform to become who you are, the journey to become who you are in the entrepreneurial world and it's a successful world. Like what did mental health 
meet you there. So that's what I want to talk about in this episode. Thank you for joining me here today, Calvin. You're super welcome. It's too bad that we haven't been recording for the last 15 to 30 minutes. Like I know. We've been having a good conversation. We're like, wait, this should probably be on the show. Yes, there's a, we, we really were deep diving into our past future that we want to be, do, and um, our experiences. And what one of the things that I, I find that I have in Calvin is that we both grew up extremely religious. Yeah. I want to, so I said you were, you're one of 45 children. Yes. yes. Uh, and four moms, one dad, right? One dad, four moms. I'm one of 45 kids. Grew up, just to be clear, you, you said Mormon, which is technically correct, but the religion I grew up in is Mormon fundamentalism, which is slightly different because there's like 18 million mainstream Mormons and there's only like 1,500 people in the particular church that I'm from. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very niche uh, type of uh, religion. But yeah, mm-hmm. and we all grew up in the same house. One house, like a dormitory? Was it like a hotel? <laughs> it was a pretty big house. We didn't have all 50 of us in there at the same time because my oldest brother's like 41 and my youngest brother's like eight. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a, like some were, were married and moving out when some were still being born. Um, but yeah, we never had more than one house in my upbringing. Wow. I, you know, when I, for, I think I was 16 when I first heard of the concept of Mormon. I grew up in Israel, extremely Orthodox, and we didn't have a TV. We didn't, we only had a radio. We didn't really have magazines from the world. It was just like our communal magazines or, so there was no real introduction to the big world. And when I heard about it, my, my brain couldn't wrap, like I couldn't wrap my brain around the fact that there's more than one mother. Growing up in Israel in a small apartment with six children, I thought that that was incredible. But then I hear about Mormons having so many kids. Like when a friend of mine said that they had 15, 16 kids, that was like, wow, you have 15, 16 siblings. That's crazy. And you must be so wealthy. So one of the things that I was wondering, like, are all Mormons very wealthy that they can can have these huge homes and feed all these mouths and and support all these children? The thing with Mormon culture is self-reliance and just a lot of hard work. I definitely would not say that we were wealthy growing up. I can't speak for other households, but we certainly were not that well to do. Uh, like we didn't go on vacations. I still have never been to Disneyland. My six-year-old's been begging me to take him and I'm like, I got to go first, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's things like, yeah, like, like we grew up on a farm. So we created, we, we grew our own vegetables, mm-hmm. corn, tomatoes, squash, beans, you name it. And we also grew our own livestock. I mean, I milked a cow every day and then we still, we had like beef, pork, chicken and all that stuff. So I think that's what really made it possible. And then a lot of pitching in, you know, because that big of a family, like a couple of moms always worked. And then us kids, as we became more able, I mean, we were working on the farm as like really young. And we want it to be like at six years old, seven years old, eight years old, like helping weed the garden or feed the animals and stuff like that. So by the time we were into the teenage years, it was very natural and normal to to do some other kind of work, you know, whether that was 
going and like my dad had this construction company. So helping him with that, or like I would sell, we would sell stuff door to door. So yeah, I just think the biggest thing that has helped isn't that, that Mormons are rich necessarily, but it's just very much part of the culture Mm -hmm. to work together to everybody pitch in to figure this out. Do you think it helps you now in life? The fact that you started very young at a very young age, knowing how to make money and knowing how to be a part of giving and doing? Yes. Um, There's a mix in there because you said knowing how to make money. That's one of the hiccup things that I wish I would have picked up a little bit better. Uh, Just to be totally transparent, like one of the things that I wasn't like as an adult looking back that I don't love about the things, the way things were done is I didn't, I wasn't encouraged to handle money because my dad was in charge of everything. So anything that we made, we were supposed to give it to him. Mm -hmm. And if you actually made money, then, and you didn't, and you didn't give it, then it was like you were a bad person. So that kind of developed this thing inside of me that making money and keeping it was bad, a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of what I know consciously is a very healthy thing, which is learning that when you provide value, something comes back in return. Wow. And so, yeah, that was a really interesting piece for me, like getting over the fact that it's okay to provide value to someone and have them pay you for it. So, but the one thing that was super helpful was, yeah, I mean, growing up on a farm and working all the time. I think that helped me a ton in my entrepreneurial endeavors. And even to the, I mean, I'm 32 now, even to today, even in my education endeavors, we were homeschooled. Mm -hmm. And because we had the same, we had work ethic that was instilled to us on the farm. It translated over into when I was doing my own schooling because I was homeschooled, which meant I had to figure it out on my own, but I was still able to graduate by the time I was 16, you know, because of that, of the work ethic that was instilled in my family. So yeah, I'm very much grateful for that part of it. Because if you're going to make anything happen in life, uh, you got to be able to work. Mm. And work hard and not be afraid to do anything and try things out. And being yeah. a farmer, you have so many different aspects of, of the planting the vegetable. Yeah, you got to learn it. patience. Yeah. yeah and, you, and, can't jump, yeah. you can't jump right to the harvest. Right, right. So that's, you got to prepare uh, the soil, yeah. plant it yeah. every day. You're yeah. cultivating it, making it mm-hmm. better, planting, watering, right. weeding, and then eventually there's mm-hmm. the harvest. You know, there's the book, um, The Wealthy Gardener. I have not heard of that Phenomenal book. book. It's a dad that writes like a memoir, but it's not such a memoir, but basically an example way. What is it like to be a wealthy gardener and different examples from life and how you acquire wealth and through a garden. The garden is something like uh, an example of, mm-hmm. how, and it, it's a phenomenal business book. I, I really recommend it, but um, it really, it teaches us to be patient about anything that we go through life. At what point growing up, did you, did you know that you were different than everybody else out there in terms of the world, that not everybody works when they're five years old and um, not everybody works and gives the money to their father? I think we always knew that Hmm. from the earliest time because we were taught that from the earliest age that like we were God's special chosen people Mm -hmm. and we were the ones that were going to redeem the world, so to speak. And so from the, from a really, really early age, it was actually the opposite that I learned. Like what I learned much later is how we're so connected 
with other people in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like I always knew we were different. We were, there were neighbors around us and we were different than all the neighbors because the neighbors weren't polygamists. Mm-hmm. And we were taught to be private. So if somebody asked, we were taught to not tell them how many moms you have and stuff like that. And we were also taught like we didn't want anyone to know exactly how many people were living in our property. So if we were in the front yard and a car was driving down the street, we were taught to like hide behind the bushes. Yeah, totally. (gasps) Yeah. So really interesting stuff. And I didn't understand it until many years later as I became an adult, like why that is. And it's because of where my ancestors come from. And they come from a lot of persecution. Uh, they, They wanted to live their religious practices. One of them was practicing polygamy. And so they went from back east to then moving to Utah. So they could practice their religious freedoms without any sort of oppression. But then the church itself did away with polygamy. And so that created a faction within the church itself. And my ancestors still wanted to continue living it. So they had to go in the underground and like live more privately. Otherwise you could get put in jail. In fact, I have grandparents on both my mom and my dad's side who spent time in jail, Mm. not because they were criminals in any other sense, but they were hardworking, uh, family oriented people, but they happened to also be polygamous. So because of that, it put a lot of pressure on people that were practicing members of the faith to be very private. Mm -hmm. And that definitely spilled over to my generation, at least my dad's generation who taught us to be more private. I'm totally the opposite. Like in, and, and my generation is like we've me and my siblings and people around my age have been like, no, no matter what we choose, in life, we're not going to freaking hide anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like let's, if, if this is who we are, like we live in such a world where we're, there's so many things that are, yeah, transparency and acceptance. Right. It doesn't matter who you love right. or what type of relationship, like, and we're not ashamed of who we are, whether we believe this or don't. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to hide anymore. So yeah, it took a lot of, uh, a lot of practice actually coming out of that. And then realizing when you did come out of it, that we're actually not that different from other human beings out in the world. Mm-hmm. That was the bigger revelation. Wow. Did you ever have jealousy between so many kids? Like, who, how do you get attention from a parent? Like, think about yeah. your father. There's four mothers. Okay, you could say divided by 10. Okay, yeah. I, I know a lot of moms that have 10 kids. That's not unheard of by me at all. My sister has 11. Another one has nine. Like, we, Whoa. yeah. So that's, that's very normal by us. I can understand that, but to understand one father for 45 I don't get it. Like, how do you divide your emotions, your love, your giving, your patience to so many kids? I don't know if you can. I mean, the only thing you can do is the best you can do. You know, I think we knew that he loved us just because of his his service and his hard work. But I think that's probably part of the reason why I know I don't want to have 40 something kids. Because, I mean, the cool thing is you always had people around. Right. It's you, never like, boring. It was never boring. You hung out with your your siblings, your best friends were your were your brothers and sisters. And in some ways, the older kids became kind of paternal. Yes. Yes. Like I have a great relationship with my oldest sister because mm-hmm. I remember her taking care of me. Yes. When I was four or five, six years old, you know? And um but yeah, I think that would that's I mean, just in transparency, that's a piece of it that that makes me choose something different. 
mm-hmm. because I think after a while, yeah, your attention can only go so far. And there were certainly times when I was younger where I remember trying so hard to get attention. And who knows, that could be partly why I love speaking publicly so much. It's probably why I love the attention that I get on social media or podcasts or writing my book is maybe subconsciously there's something in there that's like, I didn't get that attention as much as I Mm -hmm. desired when I was a child. And so now it's coming out and manifesting in some other form. I don't know. I think it's a double whammy, but because you were also taught to be private Mm -hmm. and not be seen at home. So it's a double external and internal. Like, so where am I seen? I'm the only one that can see me. Like, and every, we love social, like we're social beings, we're humans, we love people, we love interacting. So sometimes like that's like maybe a loss and you're really, well, you're shining nicely now. So at least you, you, you (laughs) chose. Because a lot of people choose uh, drugs, alcohol, abuse to shine yes. in a negative. So at least you're shining in a very positive way <laughs> and you're sharing so much inspiration in the world and kindness and love and transparency, which helps others. And You know, uh, I haven't thought of it until you just already said it, that maybe that's it. Like maybe the, the wanting attention, but also living privately. Who knows? Maybe that's in a positive way influence what I do now. Yeah. I I believe that if we don't take what we went through our challenges and turn it into a positive, it was just a waste of of, of a negative experience. If we don't learn from it and turn it into something, so we're just abusive, like we're self-abusive because we just accepted it and not turned it into something positive. So you definitely turned it into something positive. I want to touch upon something that was always, it's not so much related to this topic of mental health, but maybe in a kind of way. I always, when I watched um, Big love mm-hmm. it, it was heart-wrenching for me and I know that I was I was projecting a lot of me as a new wife because I think yeah. at the time I was newly married when it first came out and the idea of sharing my husband with somebody else <laughs> is yeah. like I, I, I can't think of a bigger punishment for me as a woman totally. as me. and I, I kept on saying to my husband but Ari aren't they jealous? Like what she gets to go into the room alone with him, like she, and he gets to choose out of all of them. Like, I can't accept that they're, that they're different women. We are women. We are wired a certain way and it can't be that they're wired different than I am. Totally. I 100% agree. And again, that's one of the reasons I don't choose into that thing because yeah, the, it's, it's such a, it, it becomes such a religious thing that that's a, what allows people to do it. And to me, I think that's ad- admirable to a point, but then it gets to a point where I think it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that is where you you start to ignore your internal wirings and try to not be jealous and things like that. And that's just going to come out. So yeah, jealousy is a is a very, very real thing. It's not to say that some people haven't worked through it and found a way to love all of their sister wives and stuff like that, but it's definitely a piece of it. Yeah. So you know what's so interesting? You just said work on your wiring. So I do believe that religion teaches us how to work on some things that are internally wired differently and we have to work so on ourselves. So let's say somebody is a pathological liar. So he says, oh, mm-hmm. internally I have this urge to lie. So I'm just going to go with it, even though morally we're not allowed to lie for the religious, we're not allowed to lie. Internally, I feel like I want to molest little children because I have this urge more than anybody else. So when is 
it that the religion is protecting us in a way to work on ourselves? And when do we say, okay, you know what? This is there in place that we can, we need to work on ourselves and there's no, there's no yes, there's black and white. Yeah, I don't know the direct answer. I, everything I try to think of is just what's the right thing in the long term. And because usually things like lying is gaining for the short term. Mm. And like I like some people talk about like you can't listen to your gut all the time because what if it tells you to go kill someone or something like that and that's not allowed. I'm like, well, if you go deep enough and you're thinking long term, I don't feel like that you actually are going to have that gut reaction. So I don't know exactly where religion supporting that versus going against it. And again, in my particular upbringing, those lines become very blurred. And so I'm very, I've developed, I think, a healthy, if there's a better word to say it, then I would say it, but a healthy skepticism, Mm -hmm. just religious practices in general. Even though I practice some of them and I'm a very, I'm more spiritual than I've ever been, uh, it's very difficult for me to just say, well, this is what somebody said, therefore do it, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if it goes against my core, because I grew up with a lot of that. Mm-hmm. If you're a woman, live polygamy because that's the way that we're taught to live. And if you don't feel good about it, well, then you need to work on yourself. Like, I don't know, that's getting into a blurry area for me it, because if she feels like, no, it's really not for me, then I feel like she should have the choice to choose out of that. Are there women that t- speak about the pain or the struggles? A little bit. It's still taboo. Um, yeah, Totally. Totally taboo. Um, probably more amongst themselves, but and if they're talking about it, they're probably talking about it in a way of like, look at this pain that I went through, but look at all this awesomeness that came out on the other side. Mm-hmm. There's never, there's not really a space where you they're can giving just, it permission to be not okay with it. Yeah, there's not really a space where you can just openly say these are the issues. And of course, if I was the leaders in the church, that I would say, of course you can. You can come to us and talk about it, mm-hmm. but. But I mean, they're they're biased, you know, and they're going to always come to the side of like, well, this is how you can live polygamy and stuff like that. So yeah, again, we're just getting into the areas of like, I I mean, I'm all for like, if, if consenting adults want to do this and they literally all want it, I'm all for it. I want them to have, I would fight for their right to do it. Mm -hmm. Where it gets muddy for me is if people don't really feel like it. Mm-hmm. And they're not into it, but they feel compelled to for religious or cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets a little bit pointy for me. Right. Because that's a lot of my upbringing, especially in my adulthood and some of the decisions I had to make where it got to the point where I had to choose what I was going to do and how I was going to live. And, it, and if it was different than what I was in my upbringing, there was a lot of turmoil, mm-hmm. emotional pain. Mm-hmm from going against the church, my parents and and everything. And so, yeah, it can be a really, really tough thing. And for anybody that, like I always say, I'm not as concerned about what somebody believes, I, but I, I'm really curious as to why. Because mm-hmm. if somebody goes through the process of figuring out this is, this is what resonates for me, I have a lot of respect for that. Mm-hmm. And because I like just in my own, in my own journey, it's been not easy. Mm-hmm. to get clear on what I believe and then actually act on it. And I right. just want people to have that same freedom, that whatever they believe in, whether it's, it's completely different than me or not, that's totally irrelevant. Have the freedom that you can choose. Yeah, I, I really relate to what you're saying because growing up very orthodox, I'm not as orthodox as I grew up. I can consider myself the black sheep of the family. 
Oh, really? Yes, very much so. And a lot of times I'm mocked about it, that I don't understand. I know better than the rabbis. Or why don't I become the rabbi? And I am mocked, but I, I, in my heart, I know that I can question and God doesn't like me or, or see me less value just because I'm questioning and I have my own thoughts and paths. And sometimes I'm more vocal about it and sometimes less. In my, in my home, I'm very vocal about it and I feel very safe to share it my my own thought. And I had my journey with God in general, like my ups and downs with God. I found God again after my depression. Like I really found mm. God. I, I thought it was a fiction beforehand. And I just thought there was something that we were born into. And does God really exist? But what does God mean? What does God and religion have to do with each other? What like, where's the relationship? Is this something that really matters? I used to, I used to have a saying that I used to say, this does God really care? Fill in the blank. Do you really think mm. God cares? And I had a very hard time knowing what does Matana feel about it versus what was Matana trained to think about it and believe in it. Like, but sometimes I wanted to go deep down and say, like, wait a second, but what do I feel, think, connect to it? Like on my level. And sometimes it gets very blurry. And I find that sometimes it's hard for us to disconnect from what we're used to and be true to ourselves to what do we really believe and think because we're so trained to think a certain way. And and I know that a lot of my struggles in my journey, and I, I can say this guarantee that a lot of my mental health struggles was feeling a sense of non-belonging mm-hmm. and, and forgiving myself for not being like them and forgiving myself for being who I am and saying it's okay. And taking all those words that were said to me or statements or looks or ignoring whatever it was and say, this is nothing, like this does not reflect who I am. And it's not godly either. Yeah. This is not godly. Can we go deeper here? Because yeah. off, So off air for anybody listening, you and I talked about how you were feeling super depressed in New York City. And you're right. like, this, the area, the busyness, the temp, the, the weather, it's not healthy for my for my mental health. It's right. making my depression worse. I need to go somewhere sunny. Right. You went somewhere sunny and the depression didn't go away. Not only did it not go away, it was the strongest form of yes. depression. Yes. Which I think is one of the coolest things ever. And I say that in utter respect, like, cause I mean, having somebody that struggled with it, it's so powerful to understand, to get to that point where yeah. you're like, maybe there's something at, at play that's more than the external. Yeah. So with that, we didn't go deeper yeah. because we wanted to bring it up on the podcast. Right. What did you learn? when you were in Florida, when you hit that really, really low. low point. Yeah. And it was so low. It was, the thing was, it was familiar to me. And because I had the hope that it will dissipate, it was more frustrating that it was still there and it was just getting bigger and bigger. And it, and it was after years of me going to therapy, trying healers, reading every self-help book. I, I tried everything I can imagine. And I remember sitting in bed crying one day and I said, okay, I'm going to just go online and look one more time and figure out like, what is the cause of depression? Where does it come from? And I had this healer, Brian, that he was on my podcast and he works on my energy. And he said, Matana, you will never be able to heal until you get rid of everything that you suppress through life. And Mm. you have so much inside there that you're not even aware that in there of the hurt, of the anger, of the shame, of the betrayal, so much unforgived things that you need to bring up to the surface, look them in the eye and deal with. 
And that was a journey and it was hard. And I always tell people, I want you to know, you all, everybody wants to get rid of depression. Everybody wants to say goodbye to it. Everybody wants to pop in the pill that will say no more depression, no more sleeping till five o'clock in the afternoon because we can't get out of bed. We want the sunshine, but no one wants to do the work because the work is so painful. The work means you have to go look at those demons and face them and work on them. And that is sometimes harder than the depression. Mm. And I needed to go and dig up one by one. All the things that were suppressed. All the things. And I can't, I always said that Brian must have bought an island on some place with the money that I paid him for every session because there were many of them. And I was determined to heal. I was so determined. I was showing up and I was doing the work and I was in so much pain doing the work. But every time we were just peeling another layer of the onion and looking at another trauma, another forgiveness, another pain, another struggle, and until I got to a place that I knew how to protect myself from it not happening again, because a lot of times I would have triggers that would come up and say, oh my God, this is something that I'm scared of in my subconscious. And I would just like shut down. And that was my depression coming up and saying, I can't deal with anymore. No more. So I'm curious how you actually, what it looks, what the process looks like to deal with it. So let's say you are able to identify a, a particular trauma. Right. Or like at least that, like that's a point where maybe you learn something and you may have some locked energy from that particular memory or something. What does it mean to deal with it? Are you going, are you visualizing yourself as a younger person? Are you giving, are you energetically giving yourself a hug in that moment? Like what are the actual things that you're doing to let it process? So that, so very good question. And it, it's not a one way that was for everything. So sometimes it was bringing it up, looking at myself, my little self, and talking to that little self, what would I say? And that compassion would be a healing compassion and saying, you're not there anymore. You're an older person. You're wiser. You have more tools. You can deal. It's okay. And and just give that little girl compassion. Sometimes it was a forgiveness practice. I need to forgive myself and that person and know that that person will not take charge over my emotion. I will not let them take charge of my emotion and let and disconnect, literally disconnect and say, I used to say, I had a mantra saying, don't, don't kill the messenger because they were there to teach me something. Mm -hmm. And I really saw them as a messenger and they were irrelevant. Suddenly they became irrelevant. To the lesson. Yeah. And, and even though they were might have caused some so much emotional pain and turmoil. Right. But that was my tool. Do I choose to let them back into my life? Do I choose to let go of them? Do I choose to hold on to that pain? That choice of when am when am I letting go of it? When am I learning from it? And when am I making sure that this doesn't happen again with other people that mimic this exact situation? Right. Because we mimic our traumas. So it was putting up boundaries. A lot of it was mm. bo- learning boundaries for the future and saying, yes. okay, this is a trigger point. This is where I fall. This is where it's familiar to me. Okay, Matana, don't go there. Don't That's do a that new again. lesson for me over this past year is learning boundaries. Yeah. Uh, so th- this is a silly question, but you talked about just forgiving yourself. How do you actually forgive yourself? <laughs> and like, is it just a decision or no, or like, how do you actually go about, like, if you identify something like, wow, I have a lot of shame mm. or guilt or bad feelings about mm. myself in mm. this particular area, mm. like, how do you actually go about 
letting it go and for and actually forgiving so there's a lot of self-compassion but a lot so one of the things that my healer taught me was how to love myself and he says no one will love you before you love yourself so let's first start with self-acceptance and self-love and kindness and when you're going to beat down on yourself you will never be able to heal never ever ever ever. So first let's start there. And then once you love yourself and you know that you tried your best and you tried the hardest and, and it wasn't vicious and you weren't cruel or whatever, you have to say, Matana, you tried your hardest. A lot of talking, sometimes it was writing, I journaled a lot. And I would say what I wish would happen and what did happen and it's okay. And it made me stronger. And sometimes I would write a letter, really write a letter that not send it to the person that hurt me and thanking them for what they taught me and how I'm grateful that I'm different than them. But never actually sending it, but just processing it. No, I never sent it. I never totally. sent yeah. it. But so my, I, one day I might, one day I might. I'm in a process of forgiveness for someone now, a big mm. process of forgiveness with someone. And I, I have an EFT practitioner that I meet every single Monday. And that's my thing. Like I do not cool. go, no matter where I am in the world, I have my session with him and I work a lot with him on um, letting go of stuff that's in my way because I believe that a lot of our our negative energy blocks us from achieving whatever we want to achieve. Totally. So I'm working on a, on a forgiveness with someone. And I, when I was writing the letter, there was so much self-forgiveness for allowing that person to hurt me so much. And constantly, it was a constant thing. And I, I needed to forgive myself that I gave them. And I'm like thinking now, how? Was it okay that I gave them the permission to hurt me so much? Why? Yeah. Where was I? Why wasn't I strong? There was a lot of anger to myself. Matana, why didn't you stand up for yourself? Where were you? Like, why didn't you show up to protect yourself? Totally. And there was a lot of forgiving myself before I can, in the letter of saying, I tried what I could at the time. And I and I didn't have the knowledge that I have now. I my intuition thinks that says that this is a an area that I think would really help me. I have never so I journal a ton. I do mm. a lot of different practices. I've never done any sort of forgiveness exercise, self forgiveness exercise. It's powerful, so powerful, and I think it all starts there. We can never grant yeah. forgiveness for someone else if we don't forgive ourselves first. Yeah, and and. What I'm just thinking, I, I'm just having a flashback at any times I've been in low points and I know that there's some sort of, of self, I don't want to say hatred, but like something that needs, that needs to be forgiven. Like, for example, it was so gracious, all the things that you've mentioned that I have my hands in and what I've accomplished, but there's a piece of me that there's, there's goals that I've had for five years that haven't happened. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a piece of me mm -hmm. that is so upset. Mm -hmm with myself for not having accomplished those goals yet. Mm. And I think there, like, there's a piece of me that's like, I need to use that energy to just like keep grinding, but I think it's hit a tipping point where it's not being productive to hold on to that negative energy anymore. And instead, like it's, it's creating like the negative cycle. It's mm -hmm. almost what is blocking it from actually occurring. You're the, giving the it permission to not be there because you're so angry at yourself for not achieving. You're yeah. saying, you see, I deserve for not to not achieve it because I didn't. It's like a, it's like a cycle. Yeah. Like I think that this 
like I'm starting to get chills. Like I think like this could, I want to do something around this and, and find some ways to do some forgiveness exercises. It's powerful and you can Google it. And there is a, the book of forgiveness. I think I learned about it from Brene Brown or from Oprah Winfrey. I don't remember. Brene Brown, if whatever she says that it's amazing, I, I just go in and run and it's called the book of forgiveness. And it teaches us what forgiveness is all about. And it, it also talks about self-forgiveness and how important it is. And it helped me a lot in my forgiveness. And I want to tell everybody that the key to mental health stability is forgiveness to ourselves and others. It's such an important piece of the puzzle of moving through mental health challenges because there's so much stuck energy and forgiveness and and barriers from from healing. It's funny because I think it was two days ago that I, oh, it was um, December 1st, I posted on Facebook that I can't believe it's December. There's so many goals that I didn't achieve. And instead of being disappointed, I, disappointed at myself, I'm going to choose to focus on what I did achieve mm. and be in that moment of gratitude on what I did versus what I didn't in order to open the channel to continue doing. Mm. I choose to focus on the positive versus the negative. Is this the book, The Fourfold Path? Yes, 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 okay. yes, 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 yes. So it's yes. called The Book of Forgiving. The, yeah. The book of forgiving. Yeah. Not the book of forgiveness. Sorry. Yeah. But it it's a very big tool in my book for people because I was struggling and I was taking all these pains along the way and it crushed me because I, I taught myself to mask, mask, mask with running around the world. I traveled a ton around the world. I lived in China for a year. I was in Australia, South Africa, everywhere in Europe, Thailand, um, India, like everywhere. And I was probably running away from some pain because I was looking for like, you know how people like look for the next high when they're mm -hmm. on drugs. And I was like looking for the next high to escape something that was really painful. And I didn't even know what the pain was because I grew up in the most loving family, the most loving environment. And I didn't know that there was pain that was suppressed until I crashed. And I and it hit me like out of the blue. I was a functioning mom of three, just going about my day, traveling, having a great life, leaving my corporate job to raise my children. I was at the peak of my life, married to the love of my life, having three children, a beautiful home that we built from scratch. Like everything was great. And then I come home from Israel one night and that night, from jet lag, I hit my first panic attack. I end up in the ER, mm. introduced to what is called mental health crash. And I'm like, what is this? What is depression? What is anxiety? You mean it's not all in your mind? I used to say to people, snap out of it. It's all in your mind. Just get over it, which is, I think, the biggest lesson to never, ever, 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 yeah, ever, ever tell. Yeah, short-sighted. Yeah, never say that to anyone. But it was, it was a rude awakening. But I, I really thank God for sending it to me because I tapped into a joy, into a wellness that I've never would have gotten to if not for this struggle and for working so hard to achieve it. And I was determined to heal. I said, I don't care. I'm gonna find wellness. I'm gonna really find wellness. And that's when I felt found God. When I found that. Nothing was helping when I tried all the books, all the programs, all the exercise wasn't working. I remember standing in my, win near, in my window, near my window and looking at a building. And I said, God, if you exist, if you exist, take this pain away and forever and ever I will live to break this pain and help others that are struggling. Like I'm going to just 
be that one that is going to bring the light to those that are suffering. And I, I wanted it so badly. So when I got to the wellness and that was a turning point when I connected to God and I would just cry and cry and say, just heal me. You're the only thing that can really heal me because I tried everything. But the truth is that we can only heal ourselves with God. Like we need to do the work. We yeah. really, really, really need to do the work and the work is not easy. One thing that I'm curious about is you mentioned earlier how sometimes those feelings of depression can come from not feeling belonging. Mm -hmm. So how did you start to gain that thing? I resonate with that like crazy, mm -hmm. uh, especially coming out of like, I'm still in a, a rebuilding phase right. because so much of the people I grew up with, even though their family and I love them dearly, we're in different paths right? and for many of them. And so I'm, I'm building new family, new friends and building that belonging. So I'm just curious what you did to find that belonging. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard, Calvin. It's hard. First of all, I want to give um, the listeners a background that about two years ago, you decided that you're leaving the religion that you yes. grew up with, right? Yes. Yeah. So it was a long process. I, I'm a first generation college kid. And that was the big thing that made me start questioning everything is I stepped into the real world for the first time when I was 20, took college classes, took a philosophy class that particularly made a crack in my entire reality, made me realize that, oh my gosh, everything that I thought was real was just one version of reality. And there's so many other versions and the world is so much bigger. And as I traveled the world and started to connect with other people. I saw that there was a lot of amazing people and there wasn't anything necessarily more special in me or the particular group that wasn't in somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that made me just, yeah, went on this whole journey and then made, gave me myself the courage to admit some of the things that I believed in my core that were different than the religion. Some of the things we've already talked about here but just other things like um, my my religion, for example, is still very behind the time. They're 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 really good people that are that want the best. They're, what it just feels like is that they're a hundred years behind mm -hmm. on on views of just worldviews. Right. So if you think about things that were around a hundred years ago, like even the way uh, race is viewed and the way women are viewed and things like that, that's it's very likely those are views in my my church that I came from, and I just don't resonate with that. Right. I also don't resonate with the idea of not trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And this isn't something that is explicitly stated, but it's it's taught in a roundabout way in my religion that you should that everything you do should be checked in with your file leader or your priesthood head. And that's just like somebody over you. It could be your dad. It could be somebody in the church. But the problem with that for me was if there was ever a conflict, then you were choosing that, meaning you were betraying yourself and your gut. And I did not like that. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually got to the point where I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just, if I'm being truthful, I don't buy this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I ever have, but I don't. And so I'm going to make the decision to leave. So yeah, so that was two years ago. Left it and... Yeah. What happened? What happened with your family? Um, Are you the first one that left? No, no, I'm not. There's about, I would say about half of my siblings have left. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them have left at this point. Um, the so, difference. So it's with, familiar to your parents that people, that the kids are leaving. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's familiar. The thing is, it was a bit of a shock for my dad because I was one of the older kids and almost all of the older kids are still in it. 
Mm. And, and uh, like it was the younger kids during their rebellious years that they left. Mm. And, and I was always somebody that was like straight and narrow, like doing exactly, I wanted what I thought was right. And so I was always like doing the right thing. And so it was kind of a surprise when I came out and said, yeah, I'm leaving. Like even to admit that in myself, man, I mean, even though I'm really, really, really proud that I did it, there's probably some sort of forgiveness that needs to happen even there, whether it's forgiveness of staying in it as long as I did, or yes. maybe feeling like I was betraying myself one way or another, either staying in there or leaving. So yes. like there's just something there. Um, the only thing that's different with me is the overwhelming majority of the of my family is still in the same location, either in the Salt Lake City area or the Southern Utah, Northern Arizona area. Mm -hmm. I'm the only one that has actively pursued life outside of the bubble. Mm. So they stayed non-affiliated, but in the bubble. Yes, because there's a lot of what, what are known as like ex-Mormons and ex-people that, that aren't affiliated with the church that are still around Salt Lake City or around the Southern Utah, Northern Arizona area. So yeah, out of my whole family, I'm the only one that, I mean, they've, some of them have traveled here and there for like vacations and stuff, but I'm the only one that's lived outside of it, like in California or right now here in Phoenix and stuff like that. Is that a big no-no to leave? Definitely. At least oh. growing up, it is. Wow. Yeah, because you want to be around, you want to be around the priesthood, the priesthood are the leaders in the church. Mm -hmm. So it was those two locations. Like I remember when I was still in it, I was just contemplating living somewhere else. Like I remember at the dinner table talking about living in Austin, Texas, and it blew everybody's mind. They're like, mm -hmm. why on earth would you go live somewhere else? Like, no, it was a huge thing. Like it wasn't, it's hard to even describe the invisible chain, mm -hmm. but I felt I was, th that it was, that it had that I had to live mm -hmm. in the same city. Like I, I had to live in Salt Lake City. Like that was right. that that's where I was from. Like that's where my family is. And then that started to break when I I uh, I did one of the biggest things. I was in my day job. I moved to the southern part of Utah in a mm -hmm. little small town called Cedar City. And that was such a big deal. Like looking mm -hmm. back, it's no big deal. I moved a couple hours south. But at the time it was such a big deal that I was going outside of the invisible bubble mm -hmm. and wasn't going to be around people that were in the church. And this is while I was still in it. And I remember being so concerned, telling my dad that I was moving south for the job. And that, and he didn't really mind, but that was an, that gave me enough confidence that when I quit my day job, Mm. I decided I was going to go live in Southern California to, to work on solar. And that was the big, big thing is leaving that, leaving that and then living in Southern California, being completely outside of it. And then that's where it's really interesting because now like a fish out of water, you, you see what it's, when you're in it, you can't, you can't see it. You can't. Mm -hmm feel it because it's so ubiquitous. It's and you're suffocating and you're suffocating because you don't have the water. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, it was really interesting. It was really, really interesting. Um, when I left and lived in California, even while I was still in the religion, because that really opened up my eyes with a lot of things.
I'd like to take this opportunity to pause for a second and give a big thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. Have you been thinking of getting therapy for a while, but you live in a place that doesn't have therapists that meets your need? Or are they too expensive for what you can afford and you really want to get help and therapy? Or do you travel a lot and you can't access the therapist when you travel? Or do you come home from work and you're too it's too late to go to an office for therapy? Well, BetterHelp.com is an online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists and choose from the therapist that meets your need. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash hope to recharge to receive your 10% off on your first month. Take charge of your wellness. Go try them out. They really try hard to match you up with the specific therapist that will meet your need. Don't wait to get help. Go now, betterhelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. You can access them from your phone, your tablet, your computer. You can be in your bed and you can receive your therapy you need. Don't wait longer. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Is your wife religious? Kind of. She's Mormon? Um, yeah, she would still identify with that. We're, we're on our own journeys. She, and I want to give her the space to it. Like at this point, I don't resonate with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but she tends to, I don't, I, I don't know if I could say that she's going to stay with the particular religion that we grew up in, but she's probably going to at least stay around Mormonism in general. Mm-hmm. And how does that play in your marriage? Does, is there anything, I know that in Orthodox Jews, like it's really hard to be in the same home and, yep. and the practices are so different. It's technically almost impossible to leave, yeah. to live separate religions. Yep. In full transparency, we'll, we'll see. For the last couple of years, we've been having the conversation of what do we want? Because the thing is too, my wife and I in, in my church, they actually still practice arranged marriages. Right. So my wife and I actually have an arranged marriage mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Right. And arranged means that they pick it out for you or you can choose out of a few, which ones for um, you? The first one, essentially. So usually how it works is the church leaders will will pair people together. But how it normally works is a woman will go to the church leaders and let them know that she is available, that mm-hmm. she wants to be placed with a man. And when that happens, they can, they can say, well, do you have anyone in mind? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't guarantee anything because they mm-hmm. can say, yeah, I have this guy in mind. They're like, yeah, we, we, we prayed about it. We don't feel good about it. We feel like you belong to this guy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they can say, do you have somebody in mind? And they'll tell them and they're like, yeah, we prayed about it. And we think that's a good thing. That's actually what happened with Becca. My wife, is she went in and said, when they asked her if that she had anybody in mind, she said my name. I didn't know her, but she, but I knew her family. And so she knew of me. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got married. But yeah, like, again, the thing that's crazy though, is I don't buy into any of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so we're on this journey of finding out what both of us want. And it's really and, a and journey. It it's really a journey. I I had it with my my husband. My husband grew up in a very modern Orthodox world compared to my very religious world. And he, when he went to Israel after high school, it's a tradition that 
you go to Israel to totally. to study the Bible for a year or two or three. He went for four years. And because, as I mentioned, he grew up without a mother and a father that's not well. And he grew up on his own. He basically was a self-made man. He went to Israel and he found mentors. And he decided that the modern Orthodox world is not what he wants to be in life. And he wants to be more religious, like more mm. ultra. And he started learning about it and gravitating towards it. And that's how we got married because I was the more religious girl that he he found. And I came from um, being felt a feeling a little bit oppressed in that life. And there was a lot that I didn't agree with and a lot that I wanted to break away from. And only through years of marriage did we realize that we're really on the two different journeys completely mm-hmm. where he is going more deep in and I'm trying to figure out what I really believe in or not and, and go the other way. Yep. It was many therapy sessions, many, many, <laughs> many therapy sessions. And But what it did teach us was that there was a lot of fear of God. There was a lot of fear of community and it taught us how to see each other and how to really go down and how to really break it down and say, okay, what is really going on here? What what do we want from each other? What is our fear mm-hmm. and what is the real? Yeah. And working with that, we realized that we can, there are certain things like I, I'll be very transparent here and a lot of people know about that. What I'm wearing now is a wig. It's not my hair. I'm not allowed to show my hair in public. I was always, always having a hard time with covering my hair once I got married. It was my challenge. But I believe that if God wants me, if this is the way the Bible was written and this is my my way in life, I have to cover my hair. And then I stopped covering it in my house and then I stopped covering it sometimes when I went to my backyard or whatever. And it was a very scary moment for my husband. Like, is she going to stop covering her hair? Mm. Is this going to be my new wife that I married being very orthodox and now is she going to start peeling off things from orthodoxy that she doesn't connect to. Mm. And it was a big, big challenge in our marriage and our relationship. And I felt like this is my thing between me and God. It's not his thing. And he should not interfere with my interaction with God. Mm-hmm. And and he was, well, we have a family and it's like how we're like, you are the mother of my children. So what are they going to see? So we had to work through it. And it's work. It's constant work. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy. And it, it, it comes up in many, many, many different ways in our in our life. But what it taught us was to really see each other and take away the fear and to respect each other and to learn that respect is much more of a value in life, then is she right or am I right? Mm. Noticing each other mm-hmm. and their pain and their why and, and, and what's motivating me to take it off or to not wear it or to choose yes or no, whatever it is. And it brought us together. But once we were committed to understanding it. That's awesome. So I'll, to go back to the thing, um, yeah. so we went out along all this to, yeah, to, to, to context of belonging. So yeah, so there is a very, I, I still struggle with it a lot, a lot, a lot. I need to, it goes back to the self-love, self-worth and self-acceptance. And I do this constantly and it's a constant work that I do with myself or with a therapist or with my healer of knowing that I'm worthy no matter what decision I'm making, I'm I'm worthy and no one can take away the my decision and the way I live life. And I might not belong with them and that might hurt. I need to give that space to that pain. 
I must acknowledge the pain. If we pretend that it's not pain, it's never going to leave us. We need to look the pain in the eye and say, I wish they accepted me the way I am. I wish they understood my mind. I wish they would see the beauty in me with my mind, but they don't. And it hurts, but this is the, I'm not going to belong to that just because it feels good. I'm going to belong to whatever I feel belongs right to me in my life because I have one life and I don't want to mess it up and I want to live it to true to myself. I think you just barely gave me a, a nugget of how I'm going to navigate finding what needs to be forgiven. And what I'll do is just begin the sentence with, I wish, and write out all those things that I think I wish. Yeah. Whether things that are different in me or my life and things like that, because that's probably whatever those things are, are probably the probably lead me to the areas that need to be forgiven. And breakthrough, a breakthrough of, of acknowledging that. Like we need to give space for the pain of non-belonging. Remember I was telling you before we got on air that I felt a non uh, sense of non-belonging in the BYLR group because I wasn't an athlete. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't belong here. I need out. And that out, that immediate out was a reflection of what I would feel in other places. Like the sense of not feeling a belonging was so painful for me. What other people would say, so who cares if you're not an athlete? You'll find you're all entrepreneurs. You're all striving people. You're growing people. You're motivated people. But I needed out. It was so painful to feel a non-belonging. I'm like, there's no other place I'm going to put myself in that I don't feel a belonging. And that was my work to stay there and be who I am and true to myself and show up and say, no, I didn't run a marathon. I didn't climb Everest. I didn't do 29 or 29. And I'm not planning on doing it. And I'm not a triathlon and be in a gratitude group. We have a gratitude morning group online with a lot of alumni. And I lead that gratitude group every morning. And a lot of them run, run, ski, triathlons, and they're all writing about the exercise. And I'm like, and I made challah. I took my kids to school. I, I, uh, I showed up at work. I did my work. You no, know, those are, but that, and I had to realize that that's my belonging. My belonging is my mother, where I am a mother now, my business, my, my friend chips, my community. That's mm -hmm. my belonging. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's my exercise. It. So, but it's, it's work. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And the hardest is when you love the people that want, that you want them to give you the belonging. Yeah. Well, I am so down and willing to face the work. Like, like I'm excited to, to jump in and and practice some of these things. A very good book that I did the work with, it's called The Journey. Did you okay. hear of it? The Journey. It's a, it's a mind work that you basically, it's all about the fireplace. You, you invite your younger self to the fireplace. And there are lots of practitioners out there that can lead the journey practice with you. It was one of my biggest breakthroughs. And I had to use three practitioners because every single one I had a breakdown. Like I couldn't breathe because the, it was so intense. My crying was so intense. Mm. I couldn't get through the session and I thought it was the practitioner. So I'm like, okay, I need a different one. But I love the idea of the journey. But then I realized that I just had to get through the pain. The pain was so painful, but I needed to get through it in order to break through my shell and to really lead the journey. So it was a very good practice for me, the journey. Um, I have a few questions. I know you have to go, right? You have to go. We can we can speak for seven hours. Like if we yes, have the time. Sure we yeah. So but, I have yeah, a few okay. things that I want to address. 
before? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So when was, did you ever have, so and I think it was September, you, it was on um, World Suicide Day that you wrote a post mm-hmm. and it was the most heartwarming post about thought of suicide and how difficult yeah. the journey can be as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a human, and that you went through it yourself and you were very transparent. Have Was was this something that you were struggling with also as a child or it was only when you nope. came out of the shell? It's only been this year. Oh, You've yeah. never had any, any, any kind of... I've had really, I've had a lot of roller coaster in my mm-hmm. life, especially when I quit my day job five years ago. I had a ton of anxiety mm-hmm. of realizing what am I going to do? I have a mm-hmm. wife and a one-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to provide? What, like, I hope this entrepreneurial thing works out. And there was a lot of it there. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of anxiety, some depression, at least depression type feelings. But I never really, I tried to resist it and not identify with it so much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the past couple of years with leaving something that I was a part of for 30 years, it just started to unravel. But the reason like this year, so I, I made that post in September on Suicide Prevention Day, but it was about a, a, a rock bottom point that I had in May this year. And it was a lot of things. And, and as you can tell in this conversation, like I'm still looking for ways to heal. I'm nowhere near the low point that I was, but I still know that there are some things that need to go through. But what I think a lot of it was, was not only drastic change, but figuring out what I actually want, mm-hmm. you know, and living authentically mm. and not, not being around things where I don't belong. Like for example, um, for my soul to feel on fire, I need to be around other people that are, that are going after something bigger. At the very least, I start to feel so suffocated if I'm around the same type of people I do not resonate with. And even though I love the people that were, are in like the religion that I was in, were in different places, like I mentioned earlier. And so like when I'm just like living, when I was like living around them, and stuff like that, even though I'm no longer part of the church, but still in the same community that everything's in, it started to really get to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just really, really deep stuff of mm-hmm. confusion of life and what I want to create and if any of it matters. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point where it was really, really, really low and kind of scared me because I'd never been that low before. And then what did you do? Something that I am so thankful that I did. Here's a little detail that it's kind of, it's going to sound really weird, um, kind of crazy, but it's one of the things that made me realize I probably should do something. Um, Throughout this whole time, I was doing all the practices. I was trying to meditate pretty regularly. I was trying to exercise and eat eat healthy. In fact, I was eating healthy. I can't imagine what would have happened if I would have like fallen off the wagon and started eating unhealthy. Man, that could have been bad. But I was eating healthy and exercising and meditating, but still spiraling. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things I kept doing was procrastinating. Mm -hmm. I was not working at all. I kept procrastinating and procrastinating. And that pissed me off even more about myself. Mm -hmm. Like I was mad for not doing the things that I know I should do. I got so upset one night I went out on a walk and I kind of yelled at myself in the car. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a little weird. Um, Sometimes I've done that in a positive sense where I feel so much energy or stuff that if I just yell, Mm -hmm. like it can like process a lot. Like that feels good. Like there's this whole exercise of like screaming in your pillow. I think there's something there. But I 
was yelling at myself like I was pissed. And then when I went on the walk, I got in my car and I'm walking. I go to this post or this pole at a park that's at that's uh that's just for a light. Mm-hmm. And I leaned up to the pole and then I bashed my head <gasps> on it. Yeah. Yeah. And almost like I was wanting to punish myself. It's actually, there's a term, like, you know, people that cut themselves. Yeah. Right. So they don't cut themselves in order to bleed to death. They cut, well, that's the misconception. People think that they cut themselves out of depression to bleed to death because that's an attempt of suicide, but it's really, Mm -hmm. they want to feel because they're not feeling. So they hurt themselves to Mm. feel. So people bang their their head on a mirror. I could see that too, because Um, it got to this place where I felt intense pain before, Mm -hmm. but what I've also felt is intense numbness Nothingness. yes numbness yes and that, and that, and that you wanted to wake things up so you bang so people scratch themselves or cut themselves yeah. or bang their head on a mirror that's a common thing to bang because they want to see that cut that's a physical like bang because what so what you did maybe you had a bump but you felt you wanted to wake yourself up from the yeah. numbness because they're so dead yeah and that was crazy because that's what was causing a lot of the procrastination is like you just use the word, it's, it's a numbness. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse than pain in a sense because you don't feel much of anything and, and it, it just feels like you're coasting through life. Right. But after I did that, I was like, I like came to, to myself for a little bit and I was like, that was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I was like- And scary. Yes. And I was like, what if I would have just kept going? Mm-hmm. Like- what if I like something came over me and I made my, my face a hamburger by bashing it on something. And I just went in that dark place and I had already thought about opening up and sharing my feelings with some people, but I've been in the personal growth and development space for the past five, 10 years. And I felt like I already knew what they would say. Mm-hmm. I thought that it would be things that I've already learned from Tony Robbins and Mel Robbins and mm-hmm. Brene Brown mm-hmm. and that they would just give me this answer. And I was like, so I know the answer. I just need to do it. And so that kept me from telling anyone. And so even though it didn't make any sense to do this, I was like, I better tell. Reach out. out. Yeah, I need to reach out. Even though, again, it didn't make any sense to do it. I have so much more empathy for people that struggle with this on a regular basis because like if you said, oh, just reach out for help, I would have just been like, screw you, you don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. Don't, like, don't understand. But I ended up reaching out to the suicide prevention hotline and that is what kind of helped pull it out. So pull me out of the, the darkness. So from that, they got me connected to uh, an organization called Holding Out Help Mm-hmm. that is an organization for helping people that have left polygamous communities. Mm-hmm. And so it's specifically for my type of situation. And through holding out help, it was just totally awesome because then they were able to connect me with like getting a therapist or a couple therapists for the first time and work out some things. And again, just, and that also started the the process of just being open mm-hmm. and telling people. Because one, one thing I then did is like, I, I wasn't out of the woods yet. And then I, I ended up connecting with one of my entrepreneur friends and said, told him how I, what I was going through and said, can you call me every week? Check in with me. And- can you check in? Can we have a 30 minute conversation every week on wow. Thursday just to make sure that I'm good, but also to make sure that I'm moving forward and being productive because I know that's when I feel the best. He's like, sure. So I had a, a friend that did that for me for two months. It's a good friend. 
Yeah. Really good friend. Shout out to you, Ryan. Thank you, brother. Just, yeah, just talking about it, sharing it, just helped things process. And I do this thing where I measure my emotions on a, at the end of the day on a scale of one to 10. And I haven't, again, just in full transparency for the listeners, I'm not, I'm not in the steady point of where I know I can be, mm-hmm. where I have been. As long as I'm like a seven or above, I'm golden. Mm-hmm. Like I know that if I'm a seven or above, I'm good. And I have mostly sevens. That's great. But there are some times where it dips to five and then six and then maybe four. And so there, I know that there's some things I still want to process, but I think I want to take the attitude that you took, which is have the mission to, to heal and to work through it. Because at the end of the day, I know that I have this deep desire in my gut to make a difference for mm-hmm. people. And I've always had the belief and the dream to live till I was 120 years old. Mm-hmm. And so to make that happen, I need to focus on wellness and get like totally well. And again, I, I feel weird even saying that because I feel good, pretty good right now. Um, but I just want to get even better. And I think the reason I even bring this up is for anybody listening that has ever been in the slump or maybe somebody's mm-hmm. listening to this and they're in one right now to just know that mm-hmm. even even authors and speakers and other entrepreneurs, they go through the same stuff too. Very powerful. And thank you for sharing. I have a few questions on that, but I just want to add something on what you said at the end. Okay. And even people that find wellness, and I, I speak as if I found wellness, but I'm in a constant struggle with anxiety. Maybe it doesn't go into a full-blown panic attack unless there's crazy turbulence in a, in the airplane when I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I'm going to have a full-blown panic attack. But there's definitely recognizing where anxiety is coming through and where a low point comes in our life, our fear, our shame, and it's constant. It's always. the. Yeah. I always say the recovery part is how fast do you go back up? That's when you know that you're healing, that you're on the healing process and you're okay. When you're staying at the three or four or five for too long, Mm. that's when the work needs to be done. But when it goes down to four and the next day you can go back to six, that's fine. That means that's life. That's life. Because life is always going to be up and down, up and down. If you're coasting, you're not living. I always say you're coasting, you're not living. But when you're able to go down to four and the next day say, okay, fine, I was at four yesterday, but I'm going to make today a little bit better and I'm going to try and you have the toolkit to do it and you go back to a six, you're, you're, you're you're recovered. That is awesome. recovery. Awesome. Yeah. And it's very important to know that. Because I'm there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, so you're there and you're constantly learning. I'm constantly learning how to improve my relationships, how to be less tempered in the house. This morning, I was apologizing to my husband and my children that I was snappy because it was snowing outside. <laughs> I know I know, snow is a trigger by me. And I was snappy. Why is, why is your bag here? Why did someone put the bottle here? Why is this out? Why Why the boots? Why? The, and, then I, and, and then before they left the school, I'm like, I'm really sorry. Like it was my anxiety and it was wrong. Once I would be in it for a week and feel like I was right. And why are they not apologizing to me? They put the cup in the wrong place. They should know that I'm sensitive to snow, you know? So it, that's the growing point, like to recognize and come to center fast and, and own up and say, you know what? I, I had a lot of anxiety this morning from the snow and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I needed to show up that way. So it, it's, it's, it's really big for me. What I wanted to ask you about that um, journey that you had with um, calling the suicide hotline, was your wife aware of what you were going through? Not as much. You didn't share. And w- that's really uncharacteristic because I would talk to her about everything. And, we, and I definitely talked to her mm-hmm. about 
when I was feeling really low points and she saw me procrastinating. So she knew some things, but she did not know that I had contacted. Mm. Um, she didn't know it got to that point. She didn't know about me bashing my head on the mm-hmm. hole and she didn't know about me contacting them because I didn't want to scare her. Mm-hmm. It actually wasn't until a month or two later when, when, yeah, when we were given like something that we could go see a therapist if we wanted to, um, that I was like, so this is how this was like, so how did this come about where you get to talk to a therapist or whatever? And I was like, well, here's the whole story, you wow. know? So she didn't know that it was that low because mm-hmm. again, I didn't want to frighten her, but yeah, she knew, she knew I would say about 90% of it, just not that last really mm-hmm. dark moment pieces. Do you feel as a male, it's much harder to share? I don't personally. Um, I know that society is a lot that way. And I think it's probably because of a lot of the work that I've already done being in this world, being surrounded by a lot of amazing people that are growth minded, that are spiritual and things like that. I've kind of embraced that the past five years, certainly the last three years to just be open and share. It's what I do on social media. It's what Mm -hmm. I've done with my YouTube show. It's what I try to do on on my podcast. Some things are hard to share, but I think it's just because it's personal and mm-hmm. it feels vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily because I'm a man. And again, I know there's a lot of men that it is a challenge and it certainly would have been for me like seven years ago when I was still so into in the religion mm-hmm. because it's completely against like working hard, being tough mm-hmm. and things like that. But at this point, yeah, I think I'm in a healthy spot there where if like as just as I, when I made that post, that was not an easy post to make. I'm sure. Um, Oh my God. But I'm so glad I did because of all the comments from people since then on both sides, people that were supportive, so many amazing people, but so many messages I got from people were like, holy crap. Me too. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. You have no idea how Mm -hmm. much seeing this is helping me, especially Mm -hmm. coming from you because I've been following you and Mm -hmm. like, this is it. Like this this helped me realize that I can keep on going another day type of a thing. Yeah. And so I think I deep down, even in my vulnerable moments, I, I try to realize that. Yeah. And if I can, if I can embrace that, then I can still hit post on things or share things that are tough. And then I can do what I ultimately want to do, which is help other people get through it too. Yeah. And it really gives the more, the more people share, the more we give permission to others to share. And by the sharing, they're getting their help. They're really seeking help because when people die from stigma because they don't want to tell people and they don't know how to seek help and they don't know where to go and they're just dying in their misery. So I, I, I say we'll break the stigma one story at a time and it's really like that one story at a time and some people will start sharing, which is incredible. And I, I was very inspired by your post and it was like, wow. And you know what was so incredible about it? What's it that? was at the peak of your success. Yeah. It was so you would think, why is he 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 he's a best selling author? He's speaking uh, he's he's speaking all over in these successful entrepreneur world, masterminds. He's attending, he's he's sitting with big, big people like Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, all like big leaders that that you would think he's not going to show his cards, but that is bravery. And that's big to say, yes, I could be with all these big people and I'm really playing the game with them. It's, and I'm, I'm there, I'm showing up. The road, it can be really hard and we can totally. really hit a low 
and and it could be scary and it could be frightening. And sometimes we like, as much as we're successful, it could be lonely. What you just brought on too, like this goes to a whole nother layer of just a mind F is part of the, the struggle was feeling like such a fraud, mm-hmm. you know, because you're like, if I've done these things and I've been through this, why aren't I happy or why aren't I this? And th- through the beginning of that process, some things did unravel, like business deals fell through and things like that. And that made things worse. And of course, my wife and I are, have been going through our thing with trying to find out with what we want, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's all those things, but yeah, like when you're, when you're a little successful, the thing that makes it really tough is when you then start feeling that way, it's easier to judge yourself, I think, and be, and to feel like, Am I really who I thought I was? Am I being who I'm portraying myself to be on social media or am I just a big effing fraud? And so I remember getting into that into that place and it was not a fun place to be in. Which is incredible because if we go to back to religion, I feel like that is the most godly thing you could do. You might not be practicing religion, but that is godly. That showing up as a true self and not as a fraud. So you can do all these practices, but be a shallow human being, which is the furthest thing from godly. And then showing up like real self and saying, this is who I am. That's godly. Yeah. And knowing that it's going to help people and knowing that you're not, you don't want to, you don't want to be a fraud. Fraud doesn't mean only stealing. And I don't know by, I don't know if it's the same by you, but by us, we call it a fraud of knowledge. And it's mm. an actual, it's called gnevadat in Hebrew, that you're stealing. I, I want to, I think it's the, the right thing is knowledge or, or yeah. So basically people thinking certain things that is wrong is a thief. You're like, you're a thief. Mm-hmm. So that is a big part of, of stealing. So we think we're so moral by, oh, we give back every penny we borrowed or we're paying everything on time. And, but there's really a theft of not, of like portraying something that's not incorrect. So, which I, so I just wanted to say that that's for me, that's, that's a big, that's for me huge. Like I always look for big godly people, not just the religious aspect in it, you know, cause it could be religious, but empty. Yeah. So, and it could go both ways. So that's one, that's, I wanted to just acknowledge that. Where are you on the journey of entrepreneurship? now. So I just wrapped up a fun little project with Dean Graziosi. I helped him. He and Tony Robbins did this big online launch and I got to help build the high ticket, a high ticket sales floor for the first uh, three weeks of taking calls. So all those customers that came from their launch, they then are getting upsold into a two-day high ticket workshop. And so I got to help with that. And that's one of the reasons I came down here to Scottsdale. That is now wrapped up. And so- By the way, amazing to hang out with Dean. I'm more, I'm, I like Dean much more than Tony Robbins. I don't know why. Because he's more approach, like more real. I don't know. I don't know. He's so massive. (laughs) They're both really amazing people. Yeah, but I connect to him. I I actually met him a few times and he's like, so I just feel like he's, maybe that's what, he's just humble. He's very humble. Yeah. Yeah. So just wrap that up. And so just now focusing on kind of my next moves and next step and something that people have asked me a lot for um, since writing Fish Out of Water three years ago, big part of the book is getting schooled is how I term it in the book, which is getting around other crazy people like you. Mm-hmm. Because 
the rising tide raises all the ships. You're the average of the five people you associate with most. And so people have asked me if I had would do some sort of community or some sort of uh, mastermind to get people connected. So I'm building a mastermind mm-hmm. um, with my business partner, Sagi Schreiber. An Israeli. And, yes. And a fellow, uh, an Israeli, like somebody that's been crushing it in the entrepreneur game. And so, yeah, so that's kind of my, that's my focus to close out the year is filling up that mastermind into 10 spots and mm-hmm. just helping other entrepreneurs that are either early on their journey or from a small town or feel like they're an underdog in some way. We want to give them the support, the guidance and the tools to make their difference that they're meant to make on the world. I just want to touch upon the book. The book is written in three different stages, three different parts of the book, right? It's divided into mm-hmm. three. Can you just give the audience a little bit of a background that they should know? First of all, you sh- you need to read the book because it's, yes. it's it's not only a spiritually, like, in, like an inspirational book, it actually is practical. Like you can yeah, actually take I, it and, and implement it. If you feel like a fish out of water, you can implement it. Yes. That's what I wanted is I, I wrote the book that if I was feeling out of place, if I was awkward, I wanted it, it to be able to be consumed and then taking action on it just with a one-way plane trip. So it's a quick read. It's only two and a half hours on Audible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the three pieces, in fact, I haven't done it this way, but I'm going to go backwards in the book just so I can end on an action item. So the three principles. The first or the last one is swim like a shark. So swim is an acronym and shark is the people that you want to become like. You don't want to be a a guppy that's just floundering around. You want to be a shark that's confident, that's in your space, that's dominating. Swim stands for success, words, improve, and measure. The main point here is you want to start behaving like the people that you want to become in how you view success in the way that you speak. You want to improve how they improve and you want to measure the things that they measure so that you can continue to get better. So that's that's what SWIM stands for. And then the second piece is getting schooled. So mm-hmm. getting schooled is finding a group of people that are also fish out of water, that are also going after something bigger, they're focused on growth, uh, or getting around a mentor, someone that is doing the things that you want to do. Like You want to get physically around them. And if you can't physically get around them, then at least do so in like a buying somebody's course so that you can join their Facebook group and like just getting around that because it inspires you when you're around a group of high level people and it gives you the support and the speed that you need to keep on moving forward. Mm -hmm. And the reason I am going backwards is because I want to end on this and that's the first principle in the book if you're feeling like a fish out of water is you got to join the CIA. That's the first most important thing. And I don't mean that you need to join a secret service or anything else, but every single successful person that we all know the names of have been members of the CIA. And CIA stands for Consistent Imperfect Action. Mm-hmm. So that's, the, that's the, one of the biggest keys. You got to get on the court, got to get off the sidelines, get on the court and stay on the court. And the key word in that I think right now is imperfect Mm -hmm. because we're often our own worst critic and that keeps us from hitting post on something that we want to write or record on something we want to sing. And it just, it's, it's doing everybody a disservice from the gifts that we have to share. Mm -hmm. And so if we just realize that success comes from taking consistent, imperfect action, then you're not only going to get better, but you're going to impact more people along the way. So yeah, those are the three pieces. And that's what I highly recommend, especially that last one, consistent, perfect action. I think it's the first thing that they need to do is because when 
as you, when I asked you before, who are you um, inviting to join your mastermind? You said someone that took action. Yeah. You want someone that already left the fishbowl and feeling that vulnerable, scary. I don't know where I am, yeah. what I'm doing. So taking that first action and that's where everything happens. Yes. The dreaming is beautiful, but where things happen and connections and what you never dreamt of, things that you have, you, you can't fathom can happen is when you consistently take action. I think Heather, Heather, the one that we both know, Perry. Mm -hmm. Perry. Mm -hmm. So she, she leads a group of unconventional leaders and she talks about this all the time of what is an unconventional leader, someone that's messy and wants to do it, doesn't know how to do it, but wants to do it the right way, not the conventional way, but the yeah. way of sharing the step-by-step -step messy part that's not working or maybe is working and being okay with that. Totally. Yeah. So, it, and it, I, this podcast, I think is the, I think is the biggest byproduct of, of implementing that because I left my comfort zone. My my microphone was in the Amazon box closed. I didn't open the box for a year and a half. I came back from the School <laughs> of Greatness one of the years. I don't remember which one it was. And I said, that's it. I'm buying my mic. And I bought the mic and I didn't open it. I even moved homes mm. with the closed box. So I was so wow. afraid. And I thought that taking action was buying the mic. Mm -hmm. But then I froze and I didn't take the next action of opening the box and connecting it to the computer because that means I need to speak and I need to show <laughs> up and I need to say and I need to do things that are very uncomfortable and unknown. And, but that's when things happen. And the amount of stuff that happened in the last six months is unbelievable. But it's because I took consistent action every, every week, showing up, recording, posting, doing, thinking. And that's what it is. So definitely get the book, get the book, get the book. I have two questions. I'm going to let you go. I promise I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Okay. Two questions. First of all, I heard you once say, I, I don't want to mess this up, but it was something that stuck in my mind. And I want to hear how this implemented. You said being afraid of burning in hell is one thing, but living a life in the constant hell is another. So rather take the doubt that you might burn in hell than live the hell now. Did I say it right? <laughs> wow. I'm surprised you picked that up. Yeah. So that was one of my ultimate deciding factors. I don't know where you found that because I don't remember about it, but, uh, but it, it was, it stuck in my mind. Yeah. I think you paraphrase it perfectly. So that's, that's just where I got to when I was trying to, to decide if I was going to essentially like live according to what I felt was right even mm -hmm. if it was different than my cultural surroundings. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the things that kept me there as long as it did is fearing hell because mm -hmm. we were taught that if you ever left the church, then you were going to burn in hell forever. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I was making my life's decisions based on fear. Mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, I was already creating the very thing that I was afraid of I was creating the very thing I wanted to avoid. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I realized that, okay, if I believe in God, which I do, if I believe that there's something bigger than me, he's probably a loving father, just like I am to my kids. And he probably wants more for me than I could even imagine. Mm -hmm. Just like I want more for my kids and I see potential in them that they can't even see yet. Mm -hmm. And it can only be infinite, even more so with me and heavenly father, right? And so I just got to the place where I was like, I would rather face that hell knowing that I'm doing what I felt was right mm -hmm. than just live a life avoiding it the entire time. And so that's what made me say, you know what, screw it, I'm going to face it. And that's what made me leave 
and st- start building the life that I've been building the last couple of years. Can I tell you that that was such a powerful statement for me, not so much with a religious aspect, but in any personal hell that someone's going through? Because we... yeah block ourselves from the because we have this fear in our mind telling us don't do this because the world will give you shame don't do this because we don't do this in our community don't do this because males don't do that don't do that because females don't do that and we're living in this suffocating fear that feels like hell because we're so afraid of what will be but if you're already living in the hell get out of the hell exactly and just live and see it can't be worse than this (laughs) Exactly. And it's such a lesson for mental health, for marriages, for children, for work, for whatever you're going through, religion, whatever it is. If there's something that's suffocating you, just break through it. Don't let it, don't let it be your living hell because it's not worth it. Go find your answer and overcome that fear and it will be better than the feeling of being in that constant hell that you're fearing. Did I say it properly? Yes. (laughs) I hope I, because it was such a, it was like, wow, so many people live in this hell of the fear of what the world would say, what society would say, how people will accept me if I, if I share that I'm bipolar, how many people will, will reject me if I tell them that I, I'm schizophrenic or I have depression, even depression, postpartum, whatever it is, or how many people will think I'm crazy for quitting my job and traveling the world for a year because mm-hmm. that's what I want to do, you know? So it's a, it was a powerful message and I thank you for sharing it wherever you shared it. I don't remember where it was, where I heard it, but it was a very powerful lesson for me. And I hope the listeners take that advice from you because it's a very powerful advice for, for life in general, wherever it meets you. So I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to ask you what I ask most people. Okay. What does hope mean to you? What does hope mean? Because mm-hmm. it says hope to recharge. So what does hope yeah. mean to you? How I always view it is it can always be better. Mm. No matter how dark today was, tomorrow's better. The next moment is better. Mm-hmm. And if we can hold on to that, then happiness is possible. Joy is possible. No matter what type of fire we've gone through, no matter what type of hell we're going through, if we can have that, if we know that the next day or even the next moment can be better than this one, then that's what can get us through and get us to that point of not only service, but internal joy and happiness as well. Thank you. Thank you, Calvin. So do you live, you live with hope? Oh, absolutely. It's what gets me going. That, every moment, that the next moment is hope. Yeah. 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 It's especially in the low moments. I like to get to the point where like hope is, is like, it's one of the last defenses that's so cool to have, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're in that mode, if you can get to the point where that then snowballs into like a belief and then a knowing and then a confidence that yes, I can create this, then it becomes even more powerful. That's the seed that starts the whole process. Thank you so much for sharing. It was like, I feel like I could talk forever about the religion and understanding it. And, and, and I, I already feel that I have so much work that I need to do with forgiving. (laughs) No, a lot of, I thought that I did a lot, but I, as I was talking about it, there were stuff that were coming up and I need to address in myself. So I'm happy we had this conversation because I always say, not only am I 
talking for my listeners. I'm really learning for myself through this journey. So thank you very much. Is your podcast still going? It's on. So we've done 251 episodes now. It's on a little bit of a break just because mm-hmm. I'm going to rechange some some things around. Um, something mm-hmm. I haven't really announced anyone is curious with Calvin Women's been awesome, but I think I'm going to simplify it and just call it something like the Calvin Wayman Show. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Because you're a thing now. I guess. Yeah. And people know you. So, and it's so much easier to find than trying to remember what Calvin's podcast is called. Exactly. So I'm just, I'm just going to do that and then probably change the format a little bit and give me more flexibility and freedom Mm -hmm. because I was doing three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which is great. I want to be able to not like the cool thing about a podcast is you can listen to it at any time. The schedule was more for me than the listeners, like Mm -hmm. listeners for podcasts don't necessarily need it to be at the exact same time like a, a like it would have been for like a TV show back mm-hmm. in the day. So yeah. I'm going to start letting it be a little bit more free flow. And so when anything that I'm inspired by, I can jump on and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if I want to bring somebody else on, then I can just like reach out to them and stuff like that. That's been my favorite thing is stuff like this. And when you have a podcast, it's an excuse to have amazing conversations. So I'm still going to keep that going. I think Tim Ferriss does that, right? Whenever he feels like it. That makes a lot of sense. He's got some good episodes. Yeah. So I think he does that whenever he feels like it. Well, thank you very, very much. Enjoy the rest of your sunny day by you, which is not... Actually, it's sunny here, just cold and snowy. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been to New York. I've only been to New York once and it's been too long. And so maybe, maybe I can come visit at some point. Yes, or definitely. The, how far away are you from Manhattan? By train, it's 40 minutes. Okay. By car, maybe 50. It's like the train goes right there. Oh, the, the train goes station. faster. Yeah. Than- the, yeah. Because there's no traffic. If, at night, I, at night it's like 30 minutes, 35 minutes when there's no traffic. Cool. Um, but it's really close and we're um, 15 minutes from JFK. I will say something that's really interesting. So I love the sun. I love Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in Phoenix right now. And now I could very well see myself having a place in Southern California sometime over the next year. But the the time that I that the most intense I ever felt like, oh my gosh, this is actually my kind of energy was when I went to New York City. Mm-hmm. Like it's overwhelming. Because really? it's happening. Yes. yes. It was over. It's overwhelming for a lot of people. And I get it. I thought I was going to feel that way. But I never felt more like, oh my gosh, this is my type of energy. This mm-hmm. is my vibe. This is home for me. Wow. So yeah, it's been too long since I've been there. So I need to go there again and, and get that that feel. And so come and I'll make you challah and a delicious dinner. And maybe I'll even drive you to the city. Or I'll tell Ari to drive you because I hate driving. <laughs> or I could just jump on the train. <laughs> or you could jump on the train, but it's definitely yeah. going to be worth it. But if you don't like the cold, come in April. Okay. What's the best airport to get into Queens? Just- JFK is in Queens. Okay, sweet. So, okay. Oh yeah. So JFK and it's right near it's 25 minutes from the city. It's it's really easy, but um whenever you're ready We'll, we'll help you get set up and uh, make it your dream come true. But don't think, I always say to people, don't think just because you feel that energy like that when you come, it will be like that when you live there, if you do. It's like yeah. Florida, remember? I love the energy in Florida. Then I went mm-hmm. to Florida and it was horrible for yeah. me. There's difference between experiencing vacation or business and then that's living. That's what makes me think, that's what makes me think that maybe Southern California is a place I want to post up because I've, I've 
I go there. I've I've lived there. First of all, I like the consistency mm-hmm. of the of the weather of the yeah. people, and so maybe that's more of the home base, and maybe New York place to visit here and there. Yeah, you and you know what? Nowadays, it's so easy to hop on a plane and go somewhere. It's so easy, and that's it. And then you get your your New York fix, and then go back to your your life. Warm weather. Like, yep. Yeah, totally. I I I I tend to don't don't move so fast. That's what I'm trying to say. Like yeah. just because it gives you, but do a lot of business here. Have reasons to come. Mastermind yep. events, speaking events. There's so much going on here. You can definitely. But um, don't. I I always say that also about Israel. People are like, oh, I went to Israel and I want to move there. I'm like, try living there. It, it's great yeah. place. It's a great place. But it's challenging. It's not yeah. the vacation coming into the hotel and the guy treating you like gold, and you're coming yeah. up for breakfast and everything. <laughs> like dealing with the banks, dealing with the with the society is not easy. Yeah. So just that. Good advice. Yeah. Side note. Anyway, okay, my friend. Thank you so this was much. A ton of fun. Ha- yes. Have a great day, and thank you so much for giving us your journey, your insight, your input, and a lot to think about and work on. Yeah, my pleasure. Hope that helps someone. Yes, I'm sure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen. I really appreciate it. Please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please leave feedback and ratings below. Let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.